Let's dive in. Greetings, my friends, and welcome to Hardwater Radio. We are recording live under the umbrella of Hardwater One here in the Valley of the Sun. This is Jason Archer, and our stated mission with this company and podcast is to arm humans with the tools necessary to crush mediocrity, create mastery, and live in total wellness. And today's episode is no exception. We're going to dive deep with a gentleman I met probably six or eight years ago. Uh, we were both neophytes in a CrossFit gym in North Scottsdale back in the day where we would fall in love with the program, the community, and all things CrossFit. I think that probably planted the seed for both of us to be in the industry at that point. But I don't think uh, you had any intentions of of doing what you're doing. But we're going to find out all about that today. He is in the nursing program, going into the medical industry. But in addition to that, is an entrepreneur. He and his partner own Hammer CrossFit up here in the Northwest, where they're doing great things and building a fantastic community. So guys, please join me in welcoming Eric Stewart to the show, probably one of the most laid back entrepreneur gym owners you'll ever meet. So dude, I appreciate the fact that uh, you took time out of your day to be here. I know that you stack your days pretty heavy. So thanks for being up. Yeah, I tend to pack my time out every every chance I get. Maybe I'm ha- having a hard time saying the word no. Yeah, that, that can be a challenging sometimes, man. But uh, it's really cool to reconnect with you. Um, I've obviously been following your story along. Um, you know, uh, I see a lot of cool things coming out of Hammer. I know mm-hmm. a few of your members over there. I know you're AT over there. Oh, yeah. Nicole, she's she's super awesome. Yeah, she's great. She's a spark plug, man. And uh, so I'm super stoked and excited to have you on today, man. And uh, I'm ready to dig into your little bit of your past and All learn right. a little about your story. Let's see what we find. Let's see what we find, man. So um, you're not originally from AZ, right? You're um, you're a California boy, right? Yep. California, born and raised until high school. So I was born in Southern California, and then dad shipped us all up to Northern California. We grew up just outside of uh, Auburn, California. Is that a... I'm not familiar where Auburn is. Where is that? It's like an hour and a half north of Sacramento. Okay. All right, so you, it's getting a little bit hilly there, a little mountainous there. Yeah, we yeah. always called it the countryside. So it was uh, on the five up on the way to Lake Tahoe up there. So oh, Nice. It must have been beautiful. Yeah, it was great. Definitely missed that kind of uh, environment. We got um, lots of outdoor time, lots of uh, time to really develop and explore as a kid out there. So that was some really valuable time for me growing up. Was it a shock for you to move from Southern California to Northern California? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would, I would say yes, but you know, I'm at the age at that point going into like kindergarten, first grade. I didn't really know what was going on. My backyard changed and that's about all I worried about. (laughs) So what kind of uh, things did you guys get into out in the woods up there? Mm. Was it pretty rural? I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody in our area had about three four acres plus. Oh, nice. So, you know, if you're going to go hang out with your buddy next door, it was a bike ride and some, so it was, it was just a lot of time, uh, running around, exploring, building, creating, letting our imagination flow as kids. And so that was really neat time. It's kind of sad because my siblings don't remember it like I do. I think they were just young enough where they, they heard all the stories of how great it was and then kind of were wishing they were a part of it. <laughs> and you have quite a few of those, yeah? Yeah, I got four siblings. I have three brothers and one sister. Nice, mm. nice. Are you? Where do you fall in the mix? I'm the oldest. You're the oldest? Yep. Oh, wow. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So you're your big brother, big brother Eric, and you get to uh, sort of tell the, uh, tell the other kids what it was like. They don't remember. Yeah. 
Yeah, I get to tell them what it was like, and then they get to watch me make all the mistakes <laughs> and then learn how to live their life via me. So why did you guys uh, leave SoCal for Northern California? Um, my dad's in the healthcare world. He's an emergency room doctor. And so he was hired by Mayo Clinic to come out here and open their hospital because they've always been a clinic. They haven't had a hospital in Arizona. And so they hired him as a part of their ER department to open that facility out here. So he shipped us all out to California or uh, to Arizona from California. Um, yeah, and we've been here since. Is that uh, why you guys moved from Southern California, Northern California as well? Uh, yeah, so it was uh, part of his residency. Mm-hmm. We worked for Kaiser Permanente out there, and and then uh, we li- I, we lived out there for a while after his residency too. So yeah, what was it like as a kid at that age? I mean, that's kind of a crucial age, you know, for development and making friends and that sort of thing. What was it was it difficult for you when you were changing schools and that sort of thing? Yeah, that part was probably the one of the more tough points in my childhood because at that point we were in a small little school up there and it was a hundred kids K through eighth grade. So we had the same 10, 15 kids in our class since at that point, fifth grade and up fifth Mm. grade to eighth grade. And then, uh, the news dropped that we're moving from California to Arizona. And so that happened to be two weeks before I started high school. Wow. Yeah. So moving out to Arizona, I went from, this little closed off world where exploration was it to Arizona where my graduating class in high school was over 200 kids and the whole high school was like 400 plus and it was hot, so much desert. I, it was, it was confusing and uncomfortable as, as it could be for me at that point. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Was it difficult for you when you came in to sort of open up to this idea that, Hey, you know, I'm in this new environment and, uh, you know, I'm going into high school. I gotta, I gotta make new relationships and all this fun stuff. Yeah. Uh, maybe I didn't think so much about it in that regards at that point. Um, I think that was more of my parents doing and getting me involved with sports and, and really pushing some type of activity around being involved, um, with the new environment that I was going to be part of. Mm. And so it wasn't what I wanted to do. I would have secluded myself and been in the comfortable world of my bedroom if I could just crank up the jams and deal with it that way. Oh, really? Yeah. So, uh, do you generally tend to keep to yourself more often than not? Uh, usually I think I've definitely grown out of that the older I get, but at that point in my life, it was much more comfortable to, to just seclude myself in in my thoughts than it was to go out and socialize with everybody. And so high school was a weird time for that, right? Everybody was gauging who you were based on your social experience with others. And I was more interested in what that music on that CD sounded like than, than necessarily who was wearing what. (laughs) I can relate to that, man, for sure. I know I was, uh, I definitely felt like I was always out of my element in, in high school in some degree. Yeah. And, um, you know, looking back, I, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it, but definitely I don't remember a time where I ever felt secure, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could agree with that too. I think, uh, a lot of that was, it was, I just couldn't understand what everybody else was focusing on and it d- didn't make sense to me. And it, it seemed like they're all worrying about the wrong things that they should be worrying about. So school was always easy for me. So the academic part of it was you should just showed up and did it. And then everything else seemed like more work than it needed to be. Yeah, there's almost like an element of drama, like in the public high school, right? Like you've got mm-hmm. the 
you got the schoolwork, which like you said, if you're conscientious, it's really not that difficult. But then there's the social aspect of it where everyone is sizing one another up. I remember feeling um, really out of place if I didn't have the right clothes on. I remember feeling, you know, less than if someone made fun of my shoes or something like that. I had that happen numerous times because, you know, my parents didn't have any money. Yeah. You know, I was just another poor kid from rural Georgia and, you know, surrounded by kids who, you know, hey, they they wanted to look their best more so than be at school to learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I never got that. I didn't really care too much about image or uh, what the brand of my clothing was or anything like that. For me, it was like, let's get outside and do something. Let's play and climb that tree. I bet you can make it to the top before you can. <laughs> that kind of stuff. Have you always been sort of um, interested in athletics and, and outdoors and, and being active? Yeah, I think that was a giant part of my childhood was growing up outdoors where we did in California. That was just what you did. And then my dad is a pretty extreme person when it comes to being active and, and just having hobbies in general. And so it was always like, I remember doing a tandem bike ride with him of the MS 150. It was a fundraiser, 150 mile bike ride from here to Hemet. Wow. Was it Hemet? Somewhere over there, Parker Dam. That's where it ended. And just doing that type of thing with him where it wasn't like, Hey, do you want to do this? It's like, Hey, we're going to go do this. It's going to be great. He wasn't asking. He was just saying, hey, yeah. you're, you're in. He voluntold you. Well, it was, it was never a, a question of whether you could do it or not. It was a question of, you know, like there was never a conversation of, you know, do you think you could do this? Are you sure you want to, like, th- it was just like, is that what you want to do? Right, let's go do it. And so it was some pretty neat fostering of some really good perspective that I appreciate a lot now. Definitely. Mm. For sure. So how does that perspective of, you know, see it, do it, how does it show up in your life today? Oh, I think that's probably just what I've been doing since I got to Arizona is a lot of times the, the things I get into, whether it's school or now hammer or work or kind of all of the things I find myself in, it's just, I just kind of show up and do it. Like I know I'm going to be good at it. And so it's just a matter of which thing I want to do. There's no like, well, if I can do that, maybe if I had the chance to do that, maybe I'd be able to, it's it's always like, yeah, I'm going to knock it out of the park. That's really cool. So you don't ever have, you know, those negative voices cropping up in the back of your head saying, you know, Hey, you know, you should doubt yourself here or, you know, this might not pan out the way you want it to for you. It's just like fucking go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely anxiety around it, right? As any human being would feel. But, uh, there's, I I always tell everyone, I'm like, the hardest part's showing up. And if you just show up, you're going to be able to do it. Mm. It's kind of that simple. It's like, we tell ourselves these stories and give ourselves this large amount of anxiety around something that for some people, I feel like it paralyzes them. And I don't, I don't know if it was the way that I was raised or the language my parents talked to me in, but it's always like, I've always felt like it's something that I could just participate in if I was in a position to participate. Mm. So it sounds like you credit that sort of outlook with, you know, with your parents and, and how, how you were brought up. If, do you look back on that now and realize that that was, uh, you know, sort of consciously being enacted in your life or is it just sort of there? Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't think it was, I don't know. I'd have to ask him. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it seems to me that like, that's just who they are as people mm. more so than necessarily like I need to tell my kids and talk to them in this language in order for them to be successful. I mean, my dad is beyond successful in many aspects of life and he seems to just pass that capacity on to his children. And, uh, and mom always had that same go do it. You can do it attitude too. So I don't know. I I think we were lucky in having that environment growing up. Yeah, that dude, that is super cool. It sounds like you guys almost picked up confidence and self-reliance by osmosis. Yeah. Just being near the guy. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely feels that way. Right. Cause we didn't, we were never fed the opposite. And so if we were, it was self-manifested mm. and then, uh, um, I think we often had the, or were put in opportunities that would allow us to succeed. We always joke about us stewards being good at many things. That's very cool. Do you ever remember a time where, uh, maybe you or one of your siblings like failed miserably at something and had to deal with it? Hmm. Yeah, I'm usually the one that did it, and then my, and then my, and then my siblings are like, "Okay, we're not gonna do that." Um, yeah, like uh, I got kicked out of ASU for having for like failing seven or eight classes or something like that. Okay, they, they, they got to get this story. Oh. Right, the, the guy who who just said everything is gonna be all right, it's gonna be good, I'm gonna be fine. How did you get? How did you get? Uh, what did you say? Six or seven halves? That's yes. crazy. Well, uh, they call them E's. E's. Does that, does that make it better? <laughs> no, I, I'm, I mean, I discovered this new thing of freedom. And so for me, the whole party thing and rock and roll and we played music in a band and that was just more fun than going to school. I think looking back on it now, I definitely didn't see the value in, in an education and what, that type of exercise for your mind has for you. Um, but at that point I, I thought alcohol was cooler than school. Mm. And so I chose that priority over being in school because I think it's easy for a lot of people to get in that scenario because that's what you do after high school, right? Society says you go to high school. Now you have to get your degree and then you can start doing life. Yeah. That seems, uh, it's, it, to me, like listening to you talk seems a bit out of character because you strike me as a type of person who's, basically thinking for himself at all times. Mm. And it sounds almost like he kind of got sucked into, you know, expectations of other people in that moment. Is yeah. that fair to say? Or? Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. Definitely say that. And, uh, and you know, there's, there's a lot of that decision making of what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to do with your life? That's a weird thing to ask a high school kid. You know, you've just gone through this weird social phase and then now it's like, okay, what do you want to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> oh man, I, like, I don't even know how to answer it. And, and I didn't know how to answer it, right? I just was doing what all my friends were doing and that was going to school and I could get accepted into college. So I did that. And then with not having any direction or passion behind what you wanted to do, it was, it was easy to fall off the side a little bit when it comes to school because it's like, well, why am I doing it? Yeah, for sure. There, there was just no purpose for you. No, yeah. no real reason. There. Yeah. That's a good way to say it. No huh. purpose. Interesting. So you were, you said you're playing in a band. Yeah. I played in a band. I didn't for know you were into music, dude. What do yeah. you play? Guitar, 
and I was a singer at that point too. Nice. Yeah, I'm not gonna tell you what the name is because then people are gonna look it up. <laughs> Let's just say it was out Come there. Come on, man. Let's mm. put it in the show notes. Yeah. You said you're an open book, man. Uh-huh. Come on. That's that's in the volume two. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll we'll reserve that for volume two when we get to get to a little bit more of the the deeper stuff. So walk me through this ASU thing, man. I'm, this is this is actually surprising for me because um, obviously you're a very smart guy, you know, and um, I think it's easy, obviously, to get sidetracked when you go in into a transitional space, obviously, from high school to college or what have you. But what did it actually look like? Um, you know, was this something that happened suddenly or is this something that unfolded over a period of time? And then how did you get it back or did you get it back? You know, did you go back and, um, and get back into school and, and do the deed? Yeah, so it, it it kind of evolved. I was able to hang on to college for a little while through that party and stuff and then <clears throat> eventually, I, I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but I made the choice to not care about school and choose to care about something else instead. And then that set me up in a scenario to get kicked out because my academic performance was so low. And uh, I just did the real life thing for a moment at that point. <clears throat> um, started working. That's when I picked up uh, my job at Trader Joe's. been working there for a while since then. And then uh, realized that paying bills and and kind of living a life um, lacking of purpose is is not very fulfilling. So eventually went back to community college for a while, got some good grades, had a lot of interventions with student counselors at ASU, had to write a letter to the dean saying, let me back in. I promise I'll, I won't do this again. Um, but had to give them a list of reasons of why I wanted to be there and why I deserved to be there. And then was on a probationary period of, of, uh, checking in with teachers. I mean, it was, it was pretty restrictive, but they were very open to the idea that if you're serious, let's, let's see you prove it kind of thing. So after it was probably like a year, year and a half of submitting grades and showing that I was capable of performing and academically they finally backed off and just let me be in the program and eventually ended up applying to the architectural program at ASU and graduated from that with a architectural design degree, a bachelor's in that actually. So yeah, made it out. Made it out. Yeah. You survived. Yeah. Did you find any purpose in that degree? Was that something that you'd been interested in for a while or no? Um, this is going to sound lame, but the the reason <laughs> I picked it was, man, I, I just hated writing papers. Really? I hated writing papers and the creative freedom that came along with architecture was something that was pretty fulfilling to me. Like there was a little bit more freedom in that space to express yourself in an academic setting, which was, was, was really neat to me. And so it, it's hard. I think anyone you talk to that has been through an architecture program or, or any type of design field like that, it's like they throw you through the ringer and kind of see if you land on the, your feet on the other side. I mean, that's the only time in my life I've stayed up for three days in a row. Really? Yeah. What were you doing for three days? We were building models and drafting images and creating a presentation that we we're going to have to pitch to a panel of architects they fly in from all over the country. Mm. So if you had a deadline, if you didn't make it and you didn't weren't able to present your concepts and ideas, then, then, you know, 
nobody wanted to be in that position in front of six architects, successful architects saying, I don't know why I don't have that image. <laughs> For sure. Uh, isn't architecture one of those fields where there's basically, um, obviously you have to go through the degree program or, or at, least, at least get the education, but there's also an apprenticeship program, is there not? Yeah, there is. Yeah. It's actually pretty extensive. Yeah. So you graduate and you work for an architecture firm and you have to work under a licensed architect for so many hours. And then there's 10 licensing exams that you have to take. 10? Yeah. Outside of... 10 licensing exams. Yeah. Before you can become a <laughs> licensed architect to sign off architectural drawings and that kind of thing. What are these 10, ten licenses? What, yeah. What is this about? You know, the different facets. They're not like 10 licensing, but they're 10 exams inside the facets of architecture, like structural and, you know, design and conceptual. There's lots of different ideas. I don't know what they all are because I didn't pursue it after... Uh, architecture school so gotcha I graduated right at the crash of the economy really? it was terrible <laughs> they're like why would we hire you when we can hire this architect with 20 years of experience for the same price we're going to pay you as a new intern oh you man. Know? yeah so so the dreams of working at a firm just kind of seemed like they just fizzled away really so what did you do at that point when you realized hey you know what I'm probably not going to get a job anytime soon at least not in this field yeah I, I just kept my college job. I, I mentioned that I was working at Trader Joe's before ASU. Um, and then when the economy crashed, I just started working more at Trader Joe's. Mm. And uh, I ended up being in a position where I made more money at a grocery store than I did being an architect. So I just decided, unless you're one of those lucky architects that got the city bid for the new central library or something like that. Those are few and far between, but yeah. So I just started doing the Trader Joe's thing, working at a grocery store. Their culture for people is pretty amazing. So it seemed like a good, happy place to be at for a while until life would eventually show me what to do. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> you can let me know when it's can, coming. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you and me both, right? No, it's, it's interesting though, because it sounds like, um, your story seems you sound what I'm taking from it so far is you you're kind of allowing things to unfold for you, but at the same time, you mentioned purpose a couple of times earlier in the conversation. So I'm wondering how you reconcile that dichotomy between you know looking for something with purpose versus just allowing life to unfold. You know how do you uh, how do you see yourself balancing those two ideas? Yeah, uh, it's definitely an internal struggle. Often, um, at that point, it was just. You know, stocking groceries was a means to an end. Could pay the bills. Trader Joe's treats their people well, and so it's a it's a great environment for their employees. They good benefits, decent pay, and it's just it's just fun. They do a good job at that. They really grow a good culture within their business, and so there was some satisfaction out of that for a while. Climbed the ladder there for a little bit and got to a point where I was one of the assistant managers and was just doing that thing. And I, I remember at some point during that rise to up the ladder that I would show up to work and be like, what am I doing? I'm just this glorified grocer. Like, what is the point? Like, I remember just asking my fellow employees, like, what am I, like, do you not feel this way? Like where, how I can't be the only one that's sitting here going like, is this worth it? Is, is the paycheck going to be good enough at the end of the day where 
It's something I want to keep doing over and over and over. I can only move the same can so many times. I was just like, ugh. Yeah, so the, it was. It, I questioned it a lot. You're right that the the purpose, you know, the lack of purpose at that point for me was uh, drawing. It was it was yelling at me pretty loud. I would say to the point where I'm just my alarm would go off and I'm like, oh man, I'm I'm now in one of those YouTube videos that people post about motivational speeches, right? <laughs> you know, like your alarm goes off and you're you just see the, the look of agony on the person's face. Like, do I want to get up and do this again? So it was, it was something where I kept looking outside of Trader Joe's to fill it. And that's, I find myself being a pretty active person and eventually, um, found CrossFit and started coaching through that. I originally just did CrossFit cause I wanted to get stronger at rock climbing cause I love the outdoors and and then it took over my life. Yeah. So, uh, what was your first exposure to CrossFit? Oh, that was my mom started CrossFit before I did. Oh, she did. And she's like, you are going to love this. Really? Yeah. And she started bringing me along to some of her classes and, and it was a really interesting thing for me just being in a big family. We're competitive and we love being active and we're just, we had lots of practice at being active. So we're, we loved moving and it just seemed like a development of those skills that was attractive and fun. And, and there was some, you know, I don't know, like, you know, it filled that athletic void that maybe we all lost. You hear the classic story. Like, what do you do after high school or college? It's like you do CrossFit, right? <laughs> You're in competitive sports and then you do CrossFit. So you were a competitive athlete when you were in high school. Yeah. I did lots sports. of sports, um, individual or team stuff, a little bit of both. I did tennis, made it to state for that kind of stuff, and then cross country, and then did soccer a lot. So that was the team sport that I was involved with. Soccer team's any good out here? I haven't. Uh... Um, I mean, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> if they are, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I don't. I don't know. I'm sorry, soccer people. <laughs> you are forgiven. <laughs> I'm sure they will forgive you. Cool. So, uh, so you, you were an athlete earlier on, obviously outdoors was key. You're yeah. into rock climbing yeah. and thought CrossFit would bolster sort of your rock climbing skills. What did you find out when you got in the gym? Yeah. So that was, um, I guess to bring it back to that whole purpose driven thing, it just, it started to be something where I could develop. There was always something to develop. There was always something to get better at. And for me, the physical, side of things was always more attractive to me, like being able to do something, you know, and perform what we always call them human tricks, like, and being able to develop that kind of skill was, was something that gave me a, a spark I haven't seen before. So I started coming more often, learning how to do it and eventually turned that into, um, getting my L one and doing the coaching thing and just started coaching CrossFit classes where I could just when, for fun. When, when did you first start your coaching journey? <coughs> was that at urban or no? Um, yeah, that was at um, urban Warfit CrossFit. So, um, it was a neat scenario where he created an opportunity for me to, to get my L one. He basically said, I'll waive your membership fee. If you go get your L one and start coaching for me. And so he allowed me to save up money monthly to be able to pay for myself to go do that. Mm. 
and then uh, just started started that neat development of other people at that point, which was really fun for me. How did you feel about the uh, L1 course? Did you feel like uh, you got a lot of value from it? I mean, a lot of people have mixed opinions about it. Yeah, you know, I actually, I think the concepts that they're delivering are pretty powerful, but I think um, it's it's just a small piece of the puzzle. Um, I don't I don't think it makes you an accredited coach or this is maybe dangerous to spout out there, but it it's just a part of the perspective of trying to get health and wellness out into the world and is doing a really good job of allowing and facilitating that kind of momentum. Um, and the concepts that they present there are, are just little parts of the whole picture of the health and wellness world. And so it, it does a neat thing where it, it starts to generate momentum for a lot of people in developing that perspective. But I, I think like their level two and level three and level four, I think they go up to level five now, hmm. those types of training that they do at those certifications are where you really start to develop as a coach. I think it's like the, the nuts and bolts and then your level two and up, you really start to kind of assemble those pieces into a more professional and, um, it gives you the tools that allow you to, to deliver those pieces a little bit better. We have a, L2 coach at our gym and and he comes back with some really valuable stuff from his L2. Nice. Yeah, I think that's one of the criticisms that a lot of people level against CrossFit specifically but tend to ignore from you know from other sorts of organizations mm-hmm. is that uh weekend cert, right? Yeah. And um they require the L1 in order for you to purchase or to be an affiliate, a CrossFit affiliate, but that's all that they require. Right. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I think it, it's really good for developing a brand and growing it very quickly. Um, but I, I can't help. I don't, I don't want to bash Glassman on it because it's like, he's done an amazing thing for the world and, and get a lot of people to a place in the health and wellness that I feel pretty passionately about that they need, that they're, they're allowing this momentum to continue, but it's like, when someone goes and gets an L1 and says, I want to start coaching, we say, okay, now you get to shadow our coaches and start to learn how to coach people and how to move safely. And, and because you're right, it's a weekend cert. There's nothing, you're not going to all of a sudden have all the magic cues by going there for 24 hours. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I mean, I don't think that's the purpose either. I, I agree with you. It's, uh, you know, obviously it helps CrossFit maintain and build CrossFit. But by the same token, I, I had this sort of other argument whereby, like you said, you know, if you look at the overall impact of what CrossFit has done, you can't help but see that there's a net positive effect there. Yeah. And I think that if you, if you look closely at what is handed down in the level one, the nine basic movements and some, you know, some basic concepts around nutrition and energy systems and that sort of thing, people have enough to like, do something right you know it's like you how much do you have to know to get somebody moving right i mean if you're not dealing with people who are like injured or have specific needs if you're dealing with a healthy person how much do you really need to spend in the classroom before you can actually sit with someone and say here here's how you here's how you squat right yeah it's it's i think it's good in the short term but it it needs development from that point 
right? It sets you up with the knowledge to start that, but then you need to continue to question why you're doing what you're doing and how you're allowing people to react or move within that. And so it's, man, but it's such a good tool for what they're doing for people in general. uh, It's, there's this weird teeter totter that goes in my head when I think about it. Yeah, I can see that. Um, have you done your level two? I haven't. No. Yeah. The level two is, uh, is an interesting course. I passed mine, I guess it was almost a year ago Mm -hmm. and it was a little bit more intense. Yeah. And I hear the level three is way more intense. So I think it's like anything, right? You have gradual escalation of skill set of knowledge. And then of course they're asking that you spend time in the presence of people that you're coaching before you come to these seminars. Right. So I think that, you know, like I think what you're doing is absolutely correct. It's like, Hey, you know, you have an L one that doesn't make you a coach. Right. It just gives you some basic tools, but here's how you work with people. And I think it engenders that sort of, you know, apprenticeship from, like CrossFit L1 generation to the next CrossFit L1 generation, et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. It kind right. of pushes you up the ladder. It does. I also like the way they do the um, sort of statute of limitations on the L1. Like your L1 is going to expire. Yeah. So you have a choice, right? It's like you L1 again. Yeah. Or you L2. Yeah. So I, I actually made the choice to L1 again in mine just because um, I have a full-time staff in my gym who they do all of the coaching and and for me as a business owner and the the world that I'm trying to get into right now on my own in the healthcare industry is it, I'm not coaching any classes. And so I'm leaning heavily on these guys to to maintain and pursue their, their coaching excellence in that world too. So how do you um how do you ensure that that takes place? Do you have uh, certain controls in place? Uh, for your coaches or, you know, what does that look like for them? Um, it's actually a pretty consistent dialogue. So me and my business partner, Joe Gallego, we own Hammer CrossFit together and we've both worked at Trader Joe's for a long time and managed people. And, and so we spend a lot of time, uh, consistently talking about what points of performance that we're looking for within somebody that coaches at our gym and, and how that is executed and what that looks like. And, and that conversation is something that we try to have often. And it's kind of like, we always can make the analogy that like even the best basketball players in the world have a coach, you know, they still need somebody to say, put your hands up, right? It's defense, put your hands up. And if that small, subtle conversation that you are like, he knows that he needs to put his hands up, but you need somebody that's there consistently reminding you and and allowing the conversation to continue to flow that these are the the points that make excellent coaches and that are important for people and the consistency of the business to run. And we try to have those conversations often and, uh, and leave that forum open for them between us and them so that that continues to happen. Beautiful. Define often. Um, for us right now, it's about a monthly meeting, but I spend over five days a week there. And then my business partner is there about four days a week too. So we're observing and, and queuing whenever we see things and complimenting and you know that. So it's, it's probably more of our conversation that we have around having good coaches than it is of how well we're running the business or anything like that. Right. Right. So when you guys have your, uh, your coaches meetings, what does it consist of? Do you, do you actually 
go through movements like, uh, you know, with them in real time and like teach them how to cue or is it more verbal give and take? Like, how do you guys run them? Yeah. So, um, right now it's more verbal. It's a lot more of like, okay, this is the hour that we have. These are the things that we want to accomplish in those hours. And what does each one of those things look like? You know, are you maintaining some type of points of performance with each of your athletes for a warm up, a strength and a, a metabolic conditioning piece at the end of that? If that's what the program is for that day, um, how do you, um, how do you perceive their form and are monitoring their ability to perform whatever movement that you have prescribed for them? And so they're, we consistently talk about, you know, the questions that they need to be asking themselves in those moments and how they can execute those types of things. And then we want them to be able to say things back to us that help enhance the scenario too. So we're not like, this is the way, and this is how you do it. And if you don't do it this way, you're fired. Right. It's right. Not, none of that stuff. So you give them some freedom to operate within certain parameters. Yeah, definitely do. So, um, what does it look like? Uh, like, give me a specific example. Say, um, say you have some, you have a coach running a class, right? Like here's one of the things that I think people struggle with. Um, at least I know our coaches have struggled with, and that is balancing, you know, how to coach a class versus, versus coaching an individual. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So like you have a group of say 10 people in a room, you can't see all 10 at once. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you tell your people or teach your people what to look for in that group scenario? Um, our big thing is that, uh, we always say you need to interact or touch everybody at least one point during that warm up or that strength session or that conditioning piece. Um, and so the, the pressure on the athlete is, is a little bit higher for the reason that they're going to be wanting to perform better because they know the coach is going to be attentive to their movements. Um, so for us, there is a certain standard and flow master position that the coach needs to uphold during that hour because it's the product that you're delivering. But then at the same token, they're coming around and within their experience as a coach and an athlete are able to apply their perspective individually to the person and their movement, you know, on a one-on-one -on -one basis. And so that gets tricky when you get above 15 people or something in a class. So there's definitely limitations to that type of interaction. And do you guys put limits on the attendance per class? Uh, we don't, we, our member base isn't big enough for that. And we, it's very rare that we get over, you know, 12 athletes per class. Um, occasionally we will, but it's very rare. Gotcha. So, um, so here's the question I love asking, uh, CrossFit gym owners, uh, is owning the gym, everything you thought it would be. <laughs> <laughs> It's fun. I, I absolutely love it. I do, but it's, it's a weird format, um, to be profitable in. Yeah. If that makes sense. I feel like a lot of people are like, I'll just do that as a living and then life's going to be great and work out all the time, hang out with my friends and, and be able to do the things I want to do financially. And, and that's, it, it's possible, mm -hmm. but I think it requires a lot more juju than people are willing to give a CrossFit gym or what it would appear that you need to give a CrossFit gym. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I think a lot of people go in with their eyes closed. I can't tell you the number of gym owners who've literally recited that field of dreams line to me that, you know, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. I'm like, no, it doesn't work that way. If uh -uh. you build it, they might come. They might. 
But um, you're guaranteed that your creditors will come. Yeah. You're guaranteed that your competitors will come looking to pick up your equipment for pennies on the dollar when right. you go out of business if you don't actually know what you're doing. Yeah. So how did you guys, uh, you know, going back to the whole purpose thing, right? And versus kind of letting life unfold. Like mm. how did Hammer come into your awareness and how did you guys end up in this space? Um, it doesn't sound like it was like a conscious decision or was it a conscious decision to um, sort of it, unfold for you It guys? was eventually. right um no for i was working at trader joe's and got transferred to a new store i had to work for a gm there that um i had heard horror stories about he's supposed to be this big scary guy turns out it uh we're now business partners and it's funny how (laughs) it's it's funny how life works out like that where you're just like, oh my God, I don't want to do this. This is, what am I doing? And then next thing you know, it's like, oh, that's so much better than I thought. But during that period of time when I was working a lot for Trader Joe's, it was the whole question of purpose. And I was coaching and and just doing CrossFit as a hobby at that point and just as a passion because I just loved helping people. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that, his name's Joe. So Joe... Heard Joe from Trader Joe's. Yeah, Joe from Trader Joe's. Uh, he gets that all the time. <laughs> Don't say that to him. You won't like yeah, it. Yeah, the most obvious uh-huh. thing to say, right? Yeah. Um, but he he was interested in CrossFit. He, he was attending a CrossFit. He was actually attending Hammer CrossFit at that point, which is the gym we own now. And um, was just, just had a passion for it and understood the, the environment it created and the ability it had to help people. And so we just started having this little powwow in his gym every, I think it was every Friday night, um, where I'd come over and coach a class um, for a couple of these guys, put them through a workout. And then um, that just slowly started to evolve or evolve into something grassrootsy, where it's like first, for a while there, there was like four or five people that came. Eventually there was like eight. Sometimes he'd send me a text message when I couldn't make it and be like, look, there's 12 people here tonight. And it, it was something that for us was just fun. And it was just really about loving on people. And this was at his place. This was at his home. Oh, nice. Yeah. We turned, or he turned his, um, three car garage into a CrossFit gym and he parked his cars outside so we could do this. That's awesome. He had a little rig that he put in there and threw down floor or matting for the floor. And, and, and that was his whole goal was just to love on people and, and create a scenario that was super supportive for others and just passionate and fun and challenging. Right. And so we just started doing that and it just started to snowball into something where we're like, well, what would happen if we just opened a space and started doing this thing? And we started driving around looking at real estate and trying to figure out if this is something we want to do and if we can make it work. And for whatever reason, the gym he was attending, um, the owner put his gym up for sale. He had decided that he was ready to do something else with his life. I think he um, was jaded a little bit about some legal troubles that he had in the industry with trying to find a business partner and that kind of thing and decided he wanted to sell the gym. And so it was kind of odd timing for us because we're like thinking about starting a grassrootsy kind of thing and seeing what that would do. And all of a sudden this gym was around and we had a pretty close connection with the owner. And so it seemed like something that was, I hate to say it, but like meant to be right. 
it's like one of those scenarios that just kind of falls in your lap. But I often find in life, like those are the ones you should probably do. Mm. It seems like. And, uh, and so we just decided to keep on stepping and it, it was always a scenario where it's like, well, we could, we, we never were able to like one up anybody or like, there's a couple bids coming in. We're like, well, that's, I mean, we just can't spend that much money. I'm sorry. And, but it always came back to the owners. Like, I just feel like you guys are going to do what's best for the members rather than run it like a business. We cared more about loving on people. I mean, that's what we're doing in the garage. And so we're like, yeah, we just want to love on people and just see what that was like. And so it just worked out. We ended up taking over the gym and, at that point, I turned in my keys at Trader Joe's and just stepped down to a part-time position um, and was just working enough to pay my bills. And I was coaching what felt like every class at, at uh, Hammer CrossFit at that point. <laughs> we had a couple of coaches, but I was assuming the coaching um, load that the original owners had. And that's what mm. they did full-time. So I went from a you know, I just, I, I couldn't even tell you how many classes a week I was coaching, but Were it was you a doing lot. The, the sun up to sundown sort of a thing. Yeah. I would go in and coach a couple of classes, go home, sleep, go back in for the evening classes, coach some more. Some days I was <clears throat> working Trader Joe's in the morning and then coming in and coaching all the classes at night. It just kind of whatever the thing needed to keep rolling is what I did. Mm. And, and it was, it was great. I liked it. Some days it was hard, but it was, it was a, it was something different than just waking up and doing the, the the norm. Yeah, you never had that moment where you woke up and just wanted to smack the alarm. You're like, no, nah, I got to get in there. I want to be in there. Oh, um, I mean, we all have those days, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, never is a strong word, right? Yeah, <laughs> most days. Yeah, most most days it was it was great. It was you know it was a neat a neat way to to give some outlet to purpose and, and allow those types of things to, to drive, you know, why you were getting up in the morning. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah. So eventually we put it in a position where we now have a full-time staff doing all the coaching and then we're more so present there when we can be and, and need to be. And then, uh, just for creating a lifestyle that I want to be a part of like I'm back in nursing school now I'm almost done with that nursing program so that aligns itself a lot with my drive for purpose for life of helping people and loving on people and and it lining myself up there with the CrossFit gym is going to be a a neat opportunity for me to just kind of see where life takes off at that point so 100% yeah did you guys have trouble um, locating and developing a staff I know a lot of people struggle with that as an issue Mm. We were actually, uh, it, uh, it just always feels like those more meant to be things. We had a, a girl that was coaching there when we took over who's still coaching for us. I think we're coming up on five years now and, uh, she's awesome. She's awesome. And then we've got another guy that's our, one of the other full-time coaches who was working out with us in the garage at Joe's house who was just showing up working out and eventually got his L1 and then started coaching a little bit and groomed him and now he's a big part of hammer crossfit too so we've got those two that are just running the ship 
And then we've got a couple of part-timers in there filling in the holes. That's awesome. Man. Yeah. That's awesome. So you guys uh, sound like it's running pretty smooth at this point. You, you're over the hump in terms of like you're getting your time, getting your time back or whatever, obviously yeah. since you're in nursing school. Yeah, definitely. Um, we're in a position where I have the ability to donate a lot of time to nursing school. And then uh, Joe has a lot of ability to, he still works as a GM for Trader Joe's. So he's still doing that type of thing. And, this has just been a, a a neat ride and a crazy hobby for both of us. That's fantastic. Yeah. Do you guys have plans to keep Hammer going for just in, in perpetuity? I think, uh, yeah, we're just going to keep doing it until we have another one of those moments like, yeah, this is what we're supposed to do now. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just a weird, weird thing to say, I guess, and maybe a little scary for some people, but it's like it, it just feels right, so we're going to keep on doing it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, coming back to your purpose point from earlier, um, do you guys have a purpose statement for the gym itself? You know, we, I don't think we've ever sat down and <laughs> defined one. <laughs> it sounds like you defined it pretty good just to love on people. Yeah. I mean, that's what we've been doing since day one and it, and it keeps turning out some pretty amazing scenarios for us. Mm-hmm. What does that look like when you say loving on people? What does it look like? Oh man put that in words a big one man save the easy questions for last yeah thanks <laughs> um i think uh no just like i think setting people up with an environment that allows them the opportunity to be themselves and maybe challenge their perspective a little bit on their abilities or their abilities to love on people themselves I mean, we've always prided ourselves in Hammer CrossFit being that happy place for us. And we strive really hard to keep it that way. Low drama, you know, a very positive place for everybody that's a part of it. So it's got to, it's got to be something like that. I think totally, man. I love that, bro. That's, that's freaking amazing. And, and uh, you, you did mention the, the drama piece and, you know, if you've been around CrossFit for more than, you know, a day or two, you know that a lot of the gyms that you walk into will have some, some serious drama going on. Oh yeah. Yeah. CrossFit's uh breeding ground for drama. Pretty easy. High school never ends in that scenario. It seems like sometimes. Yeah. It seems like a, I mean, there's community, right? And there's all the byproducts, both good and bad of community. Yeah. And when I think of a gym, you know, I think, uh, I don't know that I've been to one other than maybe the one I own. I haven't been in your spot yet. Uh-uh to where we literally make an effort to keep drama at a minimum. What do you guys do to, you know, to keep people focused on why they're there and on, you know, bringing positivity into the world rather than allowing some of the drama to get down? Um, I think, I mean, so that drama comes from the top down, right? Mm. So that's something that's going to be we're me and Joe ourselves are going to be fostering it, or we're going to be continuing to keep that stuff at bay. And so for us, just how we participate in the gym, how we socialize with our members and how we, um, continue to just, you know, have the perspective of what we want to create in that space, I think is just going to foster a pretty low drama environment. How did you come to that realization? I I, I love, I love your take on that, uh, simply because I feel like it puts the responsibility and the onus on the creator of the environment. Mm -hmm. But, um, how did you guys arrive at that idea? Was it something that, or is it something that you just always felt? Um, well, 
I mean, me and Joe have spent, I've spent 15 years at Trader Joe's. He spent, I think he talks about it spending, he's been at Trader Joe's more than he hasn't. <laughs> he's going to, it ages him a little bit. He's not going to like it. But, <laughs> but as, as simple as Trader Joe's is where it's just like we're selling groceries, we kind of, I think we cut it down a little bit because they do a really neat job of, of, um, creating that type of environment for their employees. A low drama environment. You mm -hmm. mean? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, there's going to be drama, but it's relatively low and it's, it's a pretty happy place. Mm. And so both me and him have participated in that type of work environment for years to where it seems very natural for us to be in that type of environment with people. And I, I would credit a lot of that skill set that we might innately have or seem like it to us to spending years just being a part of it. Yeah, that's a huge advantage coming in, understanding, you know, hierarchies and how they work, especially from the management structure on down. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, they they did a good job with their their managers where they'd ship you off. They called it TJU, TJ University. And they they pick out your personality type and the strengths and weaknesses you might have surrounding that and mm -hmm. and have conversations of why you need to be aware of it and and as as leaders they try to develop you in that environment and then send you back to your stores. And what is now your go have fun. what is your personality type? Oh Oh man, I forget the, that was a long time ago. That was like, I'm, I'm definitely more of a, a thinker and an introvert. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah. what, what are some of the, uh, things that you as a thinker and an introvert have to be aware of when you're dealing with other people? This is a really interesting conversation, by the way. I'm a, um, I love this uh, whole behavioral dynamics thing because there's, there's this aspect of awareness that comes with it. Right. And then understanding that when you're talking to someone who is coming from a different part of the personality spectrum, they're not going to hear you the way that you think you're coming across. Yeah. And they're meeting them, you know, meeting them where they are rather than trying to, you know, just always stay in your primary behavior mode. Right. Everyone always gets offended by the way you say something and it's like, well, cause it matters. Right. And so I think as an, an introvert or a thinker, I always, maybe put me in a place where I didn't create the opportunities for myself that maybe those that were more extroverted were allowing themselves to get into, but it allowed me to connect with people, I think on a different level than, than most, because I was sitting here thinking of how tactful I could be about my interactions with you. How, if I needed you to do something, how would I say that in a way that you're going to receive that with as positive of a note as I could. And then, now our relationship and is just going to grow from that type of thing because you're able to perform in the way that you need to perform as an employee. And then I'm able to keep growing a relationship where, where you start to respect my decision-making. And, and so it, it has a neat, a neat ability for me just being a thinker to be able to do those types of things. And sometimes you overthink stuff and then it's like, <laughs> Oh, all I had to say was yes. <laughs> Do you feel like that skill set has helped you when it comes to coaching, like working with people in a sort of a mentorship environment rather than an employee management environment? Yeah, I definitely say so. Um, 
<clears throat> me and Joe have a pretty good balance where he tends to be more of an extrovert and I'm more of an introvert. Mm. And so we complement each other really well in that scenario. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's able to touch people in a way that I'm not just because of his big personality. And then I'm able to, to maybe hit him from the other side that is equally as effective, but the message is just delivered totally differently. So let me ask you a question about, um, relationships specifically. I think, um, you know, one of the things that drew me to CrossFit or the world of CrossFit, if you will, was when I went in, I wasn't alone, right? Like I was surrounded by people who are on the same mission and, and people who are interested in, you know, not just what they were doing, but they were interested in supporting me and what I wanted to do. Right. And I feel like, um, the more quote unquote connected the world has become in reality, it's almost a form of disconnection because you're putting less effort into, you know, that interaction in a way it's like, it's so easy to just pull up Facebook or whatever and throw a like at someone, but not really invest, you know, your energy and your time into having a a connection with that person or a discussion with that person. Sure. Do you feel like, you know, that, that CrossFit sort of brings that, that real connection back into the world for a lot of people? Yeah, I I definitely do. I think it, uh, we always call it our second family. Um, but we, we drew a lot of correlation to church. Um, I'm not very religious myself, but, um, the type of congregation that you're creating within people that are going through and suffering through the, that type of workout or, um, making themselves, like you're being pretty vulnerable in that scenario. And then that allows you to connect with people on a pretty, on a, a different level than any type of likes going to get you on Facebook or whatever story you're telling there because you're actually going through it with somebody and the, the types of relationships that you start to form there are deep. Something that's very similar to that of a congregation of a church. Like those types of relationships are just different. Very much so. Very much so. Yeah. So, um, you know, I know that, um, you're, you've had quite a few personal relationships and one of the ones that you're experiencing right now is the ending of one Mm -hmm. that, that you mentioned earlier. And, um, I'm just curious if, if you're open to talking a little bit about that and your journey about going into a very serious relationship, a marriage in this case, and then, and then seeing it sort of dissolve and come to an end and what your thoughts on that are, you know, um, do you feel like, um, in this day and age, it, it almost seems like when people come together, it, it, there's nothing permanent there anymore. You know, what are, what are your thoughts on like the romantic side of connecting with people? Yeah. Um, Hmm. I agree with you on the idea that relationships are very revolving. It seems like sometimes like there's phases of life that are a part of a part of you. And then sometimes they seem to, to roll on. Um, I feel like the, the case of my marriage and then the end of it is, is we probably should have never gotten married in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) How did you come to that realization though? Um, well, our, our dating and engagement in marriage was, it was fast. Mm. It was fast. And then there was factors surrounding it that sped it up even faster than we had planned on. Um, family and, and those types of things that caused the date to just move closer and closer and closer. And so there was a, there was a big aspect of each other that we didn't know. And so in that relationship, 
I think there was not enough time to grow any type of root in the, in it. And then the ability for us to, to realize that we were very different was a very difficult one too. So are you saying that you almost felt a pressure from like family and friends to advance the relationship or am I mishearing that? Um, no, cause, uh, the decision for us to get married was ours, right? Sure. And then, sure. And then but we had a certain time frame around it where we're going to spend time living together and, and growing that. And then next thing we know, there's like, Hey, this venue's available. We can do that. But I get a discount if we book it this month and then, <laughs> Oh, you're competing that month. So maybe it'd be better if we did it three months earlier. And then I'm, you know, looking up like, Oh man, what well, I asked her to marry me. So we're going to do this. And, and our time together was just short in the beginning before the legality of the relationship stuck that there was a lot of factors and basic compatibility issues with our relationship that just weren't realized until it was, until we were in it. So you guys just, sounds like you're saying you guys didn't really have time to sort of explore each other on a deep, on a deeper level maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. So what was it that, um, that brought that to bear? Like when did you realize you know, in the course of your relationship that, Hey, you know, maybe I don't know this person as well as I thought, or did you realize that maybe you just didn't take the time to explore? Yeah, I think it was definitely a factor of not taking the time to explore. Mm. And then that put us in a position where it's like, man, life is really short and are we going to spend it trying to choke each other out the rest of our lives or, (laughs) or are we going to allow ourselves the ability to make a decision around it that this might not be as accepted as, as people would like, but maybe the best decision for both of us is that we need to be in an environment in a space that allows us to be who we are and not just keep snuffing each other's flame out every chance we get. So you felt like you had to be a different person in that relationship? Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we both were. Oh, you both very, were. Yeah. We were both very different people in that relationship and it wasn't healthy for either of us. No, definitely not. Definitely not. You strike me as the type of person who really enjoys his personal freedom. Yeah. And, uh, just, I, uh, I wonder, you know, sometimes when, in the course of this conversation, as you're talking and you, and you're taking me down your path, like how much the idea of having the ability to do what you want to do in the moment has impacted your life. Um, man, I don't know if I've ever thought about that. Yeah. I think that's definitely, I mean, who wouldn't want that? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think a lot of people, but here's the thing. I think a lot of people want it, Yeah. but I don't think a lot of people act on it. Mm. You know, I think a lot of people go into a shitty relationship and they stay in a shitty relationship Yeah. or they go into a shitty job and they stay in a shitty job. But then there's someone like yourself who says, you know what? I woke up and, <laughs> you know, I didn't really like the fact that the alarm is telling me I have to be somewhere, you know, or I be in this particular environment. So I'm going to change that. Like, I want to be free from constraint in a way, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, you're going to have to deal with that alarm at some point, right? Of course. So if that alarm's going to tell you you got to do something, I, I would hope that it's something that you either want to do or enjoy or have some purpose behind it so mm-hmm. that you can put the, the wheels down and just go for sure. Yeah. That's, that's an interesting perspective. That's pretty enlightening that that would be a driving 
force behind a lot of the decisions I've made. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's one of the things that I just, uh, I just sense from you. I, I could be way off base, but, um, it, it seems, it seems in line with your story. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But at the end of the day, it's just an, it's an interesting thought because I feel like, again, you know, so many people allow themselves to be constrained. The, the phrase I like to use is people behave as if they're rooted. Yeah. You know, like you're a tree. You can't right. get up and go to a new job. You can't get up and go to a new relationship. Right. You know, if you've made a mistake, it's just almost like, well, you know, I'm just, I'm going to stay in it. And, um, I think for me personally, maybe I'm more sensitive to that because I, I think my parent, I saw my parents like at odds a lot when I was growing up, you know, mm-hmm. and I always wondered, you know, why my dad and my mom stayed together yeah. in a lot of, the, in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. And it was later in life when I realized that my dad was doing what he wanted to do because in his eyes, he saw himself as a committed man. Mm-hmm. He made a commitment before God in his eyes, right? In his words. Right. And so he's being who he was. And so for me, what seemed like a constraint was actually him living, you know, his ideals. Yeah. And, uh, it's just an interesting, it's interesting to see how people define that. Yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think you, you summed it up quite well. <laughs> Cool deal, man. So what's what's on the horizon? Obviously, uh, nursing school. The gym's the gym's doing really well. Yeah. What's uh, what's next, man? Um, I don't know. Maybe this will be another piece that just kind of drops in front of me, and I pick it up and say, "This is neat." Maybe I'll keep doing that. Hundred percent. I kind of i I like going with the flow of life like that. It just seems a little bit more intuitive with how the energy of life's flowing through it. And so, for me, I. I've got some goals on how I want to set up my time and, and purpose with my ability to help people and, and my ability to work within the healthcare and within hammer and and do that type of thing. But, uh, yeah, we're just going to keep growing that water in that until, uh, something says, Hey, it's time to do something else. I love it, man. So tell me what does success look like for you guys? Especially, well, I mean, specifically around the idea of hammer. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I think, well, here's the reality of a CrossFit gym is they're not very profitable. I don't know (laughs) if you guys knew this. The cat is out of the bag. Yeah. If you're thinking about it, beware. But, uh, it'd be nice for us to be in a scenario where that was some type of passive income and allowed a little bit more growth opportunity for, being able to help other people around that, whether that's some type of online coaching or some type of subscription service that we have around programming or, you know, you know, I think for us, we've never poured too much energy into like the, the business guts of what it might be to be an entrepreneur around that space. Um, so that might be something that we could see defining a little bit more success around hammer. But I mean, ultimately like, we want it to be profitable for ourselves, but like the environment that we've created there is pretty in line with what we always thought a CrossFit gym would be. Yeah. Loving on people. Yeah. It's great. Loving it's on a good people. thing, man. I love it, brother. So before I ask my last question, tell these folks where they could connect with you or with your business online. Um, well, we got the Facebook page that tends to be our biggest mode of information. Um, just at hammer CrossFit and then our website, hammercrossfit.com. Um, that tends to be our, our biggest outlet for everybody and come check us out and, um, but really just show up at our gym, come work out with us. We love it. I love it. We love having visitors. That's beautiful, brother. So last question is, um, around wellness, you know, what does wellness 
mean? How do you define wellness in today's world? Yeah, wellness, I think, encompasses a number of things um, around the your physical body, around your your mental perspective. You know, um, man, to define that in such a small sentence would be tough. I think wellness is having a healthy mind and spirit and body, right? I think that would be mm. a perspective that I could define as wellness. Beautiful. No arguments here, my friend. Hey, man, I want to thank you so much for coming out today. Appreciate your perspective. Thanks for being on the show. And uh, guys, if you haven't checked out Hammer CrossFit, be sure and do so. Check these guys out online. Look them up and um, go get loved on, man. Yeah, bring it. Thanks for having me on. It's fun. Absolutely, brother. I appreciate you guys. So on behalf of Eric Stewart and myself, guys, we'll see you in the next episode. Have a good one.